Hello, everybody, and happy divisional playoff weekend. You're tuned into the Couch GM's podcast, and I'm your host, George Kurth, here along with the other two double doinks, Tyler Snyder. How's it going? And Cody Roadcap. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Couch GM's podcast. George, Tyler, and myself are three best friends who love talking football, and it's playoff time. There's no better time to talk football, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk football and have a good time. Absolutely. We are going to talk football. We're going to give you some predictions for these matchups, uh, maybe some inside looks on the teams and the games themselves. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends that you love the Couch GM's podcast and spread the word, guys. You can spread the word and even like us and follow us on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Couch GM's. So why don't we jump into some weekly headlines here for this week, and I know it was a big discussion on the podcast last week, and we finally have a resolution in Philly. Doug Peterson was finally fired, and the Eagles are now a little behind on their head coaching search. What are your guys' thoughts on the whole Peterson situation? Yeah, I was the most vocal last week about it. I thought when he quit on the team on Sunday, it showed that he he needed to leave Philly. Now, I don't think Doug Peterson is a bad coach. I think he'll get an option somewhere else. Maybe not this year just because it was a late addition to the the pool, but definitely next year, if not this one. The Eagles, though, that team, that franchise is a mess. Coming off a Super Bowl just a few years ago, it's crazy to see how far they have fallen. Uh, It's going to be interesting who comes in next. They have big shoes to fill, and that front office staff uh, seems to have a little bit more control than most. Yeah, that's part of my fear. Um, I know that I was one of the most vocal about Doug Peterson needs to go, and I hated his decision as well. But at the same time, there's rumors swirling that it really wasn't his decision um, to make the benching of Hurts and throw the game. If those kind of decisions were coming from the higher ups, like the GM and the owner, and you know, those are kind of the decisions that can't really be fixed, especially if it's coming from the owner, because if he continues to pull stunts like that it's just going to keep trickling down and the players are going to want to leave uh the coaches aren't going to want to be there nobody's going to want to be in philly if they're playing for a franchise who you know says that it's okay to lose that their number one priority isn't winning so doug peterson leaving i think is definitely going to help the eagles move in the correct direction at the same time if they don't fix up the front office I don't think there's a head coach that's going to be able to step in and fix it right away either. And now there's no official word on if that decision to bench Hurts in that final game came from up top or not. I personally was still under the assumption that that was a Doug Peterson move, but it could have been the GM. And hearing the Eagles owner in his press conference this week makes me think that he wouldn't have made that move because he seemed very hands-off when it comes to is Carson Wentz coming back, anything like that. He's like, an owner shouldn't make that decision. So I'm hoping that that's not just a cover and that's him actually being honest that he knows an owner shouldn't make a decision like that when it comes to personnel, when it comes to anything to do with a game. But them being behind in the coaching search makes me worry because there's also been reports out there that say that they're scrambling a little bit, which they shouldn't be. There hasn't been a team that hired a coach yet. There might be some teams that have some favorites like there's a lot of links between urban meyer and the jacksonville jaguars but no one's been signed no one's agreed to a job yet there's no reason for them to be scrambling absolutely they shouldn't be scrambling even you know there are rumors out there that they had interest in sala and he's tied to the jets job at the moment 
But like you said, he hasn't signed. There hasn't been a commitment. They shouldn't be scrambling. But back to your point on the owner, I mean, again, we we don't want to you know put too much emphasis on we think it was from the owner because we actually don't know. But if I was an owner and I did make the decision, I'm still going to come out in my press conference and be like, no, the owner shouldn't do that because I still need to hire another coach. No coach will even accept my job if they think that the owner has a lot of say in football decisions. The owner should be there looking at the team's financials, looking at the team's game day operations, worried about bringing fans and making money and running the business as a whole. That's why they hire a GM and a coach to handle one side of the business. Well, and Cody, before uh, we say anything else here, I wanted there was a little bit of debate you and I had about what there was a report right after the firing that said Doug Peterson was tired of being told what to do, which makes it sound a lot like there was ownership interfering or GM at least interfering in something to do with the coach's job. And I think a lot of it was to do with personnel decisions because the Eagles are going to be hiring a new offensive coordinator, obviously hiring a new defensive coordinator because Jim Schwartz is contemplating retirement. And I think it was a lot of coaching decisions, not as much personnel or whatever it might be. But um, if you see your coach making a poor decision as like hiring somebody poor at offensive coordinator as a GM or an owner, would you step in and stop it? Like I said, maybe you'd want to. You said that might be too overstepping. Yeah, I think as the owner, I'm going to exclude the owner. I don't think the owner should have any say in football operations. The coach should just report to him but he shouldn't get to have any say in coaching staff. The GM should be, you know, a checks and balance against the coach. So, you know, we're talking about Press Taylor is one of the guys they were thinking about making offensive coordinator. The GM could have been like, hey, Doug, I know that's your guy, but maybe we should look elsewhere. He should, you know, help facilitate broadening the search, not just always looking internally. But at the same time, he can't come down and be like, Nope, you can't hire that guy for that position on your staff because he hired the coach to make those decisions. That's just my thoughts on it. I think back to the Green Bay Packers when Matt LaFleur came on. He had the right to retain any coach from Mike McCarthy's staff, like most coaches do coming in. And the big one he let go was offensive line coach James Campen. He was regarded as the best, one of the top three offensive line coaches in all the NFL, and he let him go and brought in the assistant offensive line run game coordinator, something really low level from the 49ers, Adam Stenovich, and the beat writers even were like, I can't believe Matt LaFleur is doing this. And he was like, no, this is my guy. He's going to help our offensive line run the system I want to run, et cetera, et cetera. And we have seen this year, Packers have had numerous offensive line injuries, much shuffling around, and the coach knew what he was doing. So you have to, you trust the guy to run your football team. You have to trust him to make the, final say on your coaching staff. Absolutely, Cody. Well, we saw Doug Peterson get fired after his uh, questionable calls, but one person that wasn't fired was Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace for that matter. They will return to the Bears in 2021. Now, I understand it is strange to see a team fire a head coach after uh, making the playoffs, but it's not uncommon. We've seen it before. Um, Do you guys agree with this decision? As a football fan of the Green Bay Packers, I love it. If I was a Chicago Bears fan, well, I would not like it. You know, you mentioned, you know, teams that make the playoffs. Well, the Bears made the playoffs at 8 and 8 because they made it seven car seven teams this year instead of six teams. We've seen coaches get fired for more 
uh, your Mike Malarkey. You know, he made the playoffs, and then they fired him for Mike Vrabel. That probably looks like a good move. The fact that they're going to commit to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace again after they haven't had too much success outside of that one season where their defense was phenomenal, which they have now lost Vic Mangio, and they're going to get a new defensive coordinator. But again, as a Packers fan, I love the move. I actually commend Matt Nagy for being able to take that roster and that bad set of quarterbacks to eight and eight and make him into the playoffs to be there seven teams or not. So I don't know if Matt Nagy really deserved to lose his job because you're not getting a lot of talent at the key position of quarterback or maybe even some other positions have some holes. And so I don't see why he should have been fired. Ryan Pace, maybe. If they want to keep them two together because that's, you know, they're a unit, then maybe. But maybe they need somebody else in there new to try to find themselves a new quarterback, get some better personnel in there player-wise. But I don't think Matt Nagy deserved to be fired. I think that was the right move. So you said quarterbacks, you know, quarterback play, and I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky is great at all. I'm, But he also benched Mitch Trubisky for Nick Foles, and we talked about how bad of a decision that was all season. And then Mitch Trubisky came back and played well to get them back to 8-8 eight and, eight and get them into the playoffs. So you can't discount the quarterback play when his job was literally saved by that quarterback. Fair. But I mean, he benched Mitch for a reason. And we were on the Mitch train like, oh, he's better than Foles. But he knew that Mitch wasn't the answer to try to get them to a championship. And he knew the defense was probably good enough to get him to a championship if they had the right person on offense. So Foles has been there before. He had to give it a shot. I don't blame him for doing it. And he did go back to Mitch in the end. But he knew Mitch wasn't the guy to get him over the hump. And at the end, he really wasn't. They lost that playoff game pretty ugly. So I have a question for you guys here. Um, we've seen guys like Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. Guys get drafted very early in the first round. And usually when you take a quarterback that early in the first round, they're supposed to be studs. And we've seen them really disappoint and fall apart. And uh, honestly, Mitchell Trubisky is most likely headed for a backup job somewhere next year as well. So my question is, when you have a guy drafted that high and he disappoints like that, do you think that reflects more on the general manager for drafting him at that spot or more on the coaches for not being able to get someone that highly drafted uh, to play well for your team? I think it, I'm going to cop out a little bit and say it falls on both. You know, it falls on the general manager and the scouting department, especially if you look at Mitch Trubisky's draft because he went to and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes went out of the top 10. But at the same time, Matt Nagy worked under Andy Reid. He came in as this offensive guru that could, and he had a say in drafting Mitch Trubisky, and that was their guy. That's the guy they traded up for. You, That's on him. And he look at David Montgomery. You know, he had a great last five games of the season. The first year and a half of his career, Matt Nagy refused to give him the ball. Like, how can you not look at that and be like, players, coaches need to coach the players they have and stop trying to force their scheme and scheme for the players they have. That all falls on coaching. Again, as a Packers fan, I love it. I don't think Matt Nagy's a very good coach. I think the Bears are destined for eight and eight, seven and nine, maybe nine and seven again. And but and that helps the Packers. But Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are are very lucky that that one year of coach of the year and GM of the year uh, saved them in this COVID year job search. They should be out.
All right, Cody, thank you for answering that question. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to our next headline, which is Anthony Costanzo has announced his retirement. What kind of an impact do you think this is going to make? Well, I think Anthony Costanzo, you know, he was he was that anchor left tackle for the dominant Indianapolis Colts offensive line. So it's going to be big shoes to fill, of course. Uh, he had a pretty incredible career. You know, he got to play with some great quarter. Well, I'm not going to say Philip Rivers was great. So he got to play with some decent quarterbacks. You know, the Colts didn't do, weren't able to accomplish too much with him in there, but he did have a great career. I'm interested to see, though, when he left, he said, Quentin Nelson has every trait to play left tackle. So I'm interested to see if he, the all pro stays at left guard after starting off so strong as a rookie, or they move him out to that prized left tackle position. I would love to see it personally, because honestly, I know that Quentin Nelson is one of the best left guards in the league. And I guess you can go with one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of situations. But in all honesty, we know that the left tackle position is a lot more valuable than the left guard position. Now, right now, he is one of the best offensive linemen in the league, but he's playing guard. I don't think he's going to really get the credit that he deserves for being as good as he is until he moves to a bigger position like left tackle. And if he can play left tackle the same way that he can play left guard, Oh, he's going to be absolutely dominant. He is going to be a hot commodity. He is going to earn himself way more money when contract time rolls around. I think it's a good move for him if he can succeed. But I don't want to just like lock him in as, oh, he can do this. You can have the best offensive lineman in the world, and you go out there and change his position to left tackle, and it's the hardest offensive line position to play. He could end up looking like some average guy out there, and you don't know if he's going to be able to make this move until you see him in practice, preseason, regular season games next year. He's amazing. I think he can do it, but I am not convinced yet that it's going to be as seamless as they make it sound. I think just based on what we've seen from Quentin Nelson, I could be completely off base here, but I do believe that even if he takes a step back from his current play to move out to left tackle, he'd still be a top 10 left tackle in the league. I just think he's that gifted and talented as an offensive lineman. But again, that's my personal opinion on Quentin Nelson. And, you know, speaking of the Colts offensive line, we had a little bit of an interesting story come out. You know, Costanzo didn't play in the playoff game, and he was replaced by Jared Valdir, a practice squad call-up, who then reverted back to practice squad and got signed by Green Bay. So his season wasn't over. And then right before we recorded this podcast, he was put on the COVID list. So a couple of emotional days for Jared Valdir, but such an interesting thing to happen that will probably only happen in this 2020 unique year. Yeah, what a 2020 thing to happen for a, a guy to have a chance to play for two teams in the same playoffs. Uh, at the same time, the Packers are favored to win right now. So he did get put on the COVID list because of a positive test, not because of a close contact. So there's a chance he could miss this week uh, and next week, hopefully just this week. But honestly, the Packers are such a good team right now. They are one of the favorites in the NFC. If they make it as far as the Super Bowl, he could still get his chance to play. And we might still see that person to play on a team, two different teams in the playoffs. That is true. And before we get on to the divisional round matchups, just want to reflect a little bit about last week's wild card weekend. You know, it was super wild card weekend. We had six games, 
three on Saturday, three on Sunday. We had a game on Nickelodeon, which some people love. Some people weren't a big fan of. I personally loved. Tyler, unfortunately, we saw your Titans fall, even though we were all rooting for them in that close game. But I think my favorite thing of the weekend was watching the Steelers get beat down by the Cleveland Browns. What was your guys' biggest takeaway from the wildcard weekend? Well, of course, I have to have a takeaway being from the Titans game. I mean, just being a Titans fan. Um, you know, I, I've said it a hundred times to my closest friends, and they know me. I will get mad if the Titans lose and lose badly. I will not m- be mad if they lose in a hard-fought game, if they give it their all. However, this is one of the first times in my life that I've been furious from a loss where I feel like they fought hard. Yes, Derrick Henry didn't look great. I think that falls on the offensive coordinator a little bit. We only called runs up the middle, not a single run to the outside. I don't understand it. That's where Derrick Henry has broken off his big plays. Uh, he had a carry late in the game where he got a eight yards on first down, and it's second and two, and they throw it, third and two, and they throw it. They just didn't trust him. So that was a little bit questionable. Uh, however, I was mad because of the way that the Ravens acted during this game. Now, a lot of people reflect back to the Titans-Ravens game earlier this year where they say the Titans were doing things on the Ravens logo. Look, I've seen the videos. I've heard the interviews. As far as I understand, the Titans have been collecting on the center logo of every team, even their own home field, on their own logo, every week to uh, dance a little bit, get themselves hyped up for the game they weren't doing anything egregious. They started stomping on their logo a little bit when Harbaugh got in their face over them collecting on the logo. But then the Ravens, after getting the pick to destroy the Titans logo by ripping it up with their cleats, and then Lamar takes a knee and runs to the locker room and tells his teammates not to shake any Titans hands. It is absolutely disrespectful. I know a lot of people don't like the whole lovey-dovey let's shake hands thing after the game but it's respect it's known throughout sports it's what you do um so for the ravens to act like that it's absolutely disgusting um i just i wish nothing but the worst for them the rest of this playoffs i hope they don't win another game okay i'll quick take the opposite on that before i go on to my takeaway um i don't agree with the titans stepping on anybody's logo after we've seen how um you know special the logos are since the whole to dancing on the dallas Cowboys star thing so if they've been doing that all season i actually hate this even more and i think it was just a payback thing and i really think lamar was just trying to get him into the locker room because they knew that there was going to probably be a fight if they stayed out there to try to shake some hands but uh my biggest divisional round um takeaway had to come from the washington and tampa bay game first off tampa bay did not dominate that game like they should have and second taylor heineke might actually be a future starting quarterback for Washington if he keeps playing the way he did in that game. He impressed me a lot more than I expected him to. Yeah, Taylor did look pretty good. It was interesting how we complained all last week on how I can't believe this game's in prime time. This game is so bad. NFL stopped doing it. And the game was actually pretty decent. I mean, Tampa Bay, I mean, Washington did have the chance to tie the game on the last second drive. I'm interested to see Taylor Heineke's uh, future going or career going forward into the future because he looked so well, but was that because no one has any tape on him previously or does he just have that gunslinger mentality that he'll go out there and sling it and he can make stuff happen. So I definitely think the quarterback situation in Washington is definitely a fun one to keep an eye out for. And also shout out to Alex Smith, who, 
he might have played his last game. So he said he was going to take a few weeks to decide on if he wants to continue playing. Whether he continues or not, what he was able to accomplish coming back to the football field this year was nothing but amazing. And a couple other takeaways there, Cody. Uh, We didn't even mention the fact that the Rams went out there with John Wolford and he got injured early on in the game. So Jared Goff steps in with a broken thumb and still outduels Russell Wilson. And the Seahawks, after having such a good offense and being this team early on in the season that we were like, oh my gosh, they might win it all. I don't know if anybody can stop them. They looked terrible. They came out and were absolutely flat. They did not show up. Uh, The Rams defense is amazing, but the Seahawks have the offensive pieces that they should have been able to do something. And on top of that, we're not even mentioning the closest game of the week, which was the Bills and the Colts, which turned out a lot closer than I expected it to. But that came down to um, a game-winning drive by Phillip Rivers, and that might have been one of the ugliest game-winning drives I've ever seen because Rivers was just throwing out of bounds, overthrowing receivers, and it came down to, because of their clock management being so poor, a Hail Mary attempt, which was, I mean, we all said it. We all thought that Jacoby Brissett should have came in for that Hail Mary attempt, and instead they let Phillip Rivers do it, and it was an absolute duck. It was just terrible. And it because they got the ball back on that ugly call on the interception that ended up not to be. You mean the fumble? In the fumble, yes, that fumble. Yeah, so I totally think if the Bills players' gloves weren't blue, it would have been overturned. But there was like half a frame where it was like, oh, is it fully touching his body or not? And the blue was right on the numbers. So I think because it was called, they were like, well, it's not completely conclusive, even though everybody in the on Twitter in bars, if bars are open, I don't, I don't even know if they're open because of COVID, but in bars watching the games, they everyone knew it was a fumble and the ball doesn't lie. So the next four plays were a disaster for the Colts. But guys, I think that's probably enough. I think people want to hear not as much about last week, but more about this week. So let's just get right in to the divisional round of the playoffs. The NFL is kicking it off, which I think is probably the best game of the week. The Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are six and a half point favorites. We have the number one offense versus the number one defense. All pro wide receiver Devontae Adams versus all pro cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay are best friends. It can't get much better than that, and we get to kick off the weekend with this game. What are your guys' thoughts? I think a lot of what this game comes down to is what happens with Jared Goff. The early signs look good, as I heard he was a full participant in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. So it looks like he's going to play, but I don't know if he's going to be 100%. Um, a lot of uh, He looked awful last week, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was trying to run an offense that wasn't tailored to him. Him and Walford run completely different styles of offense, so that that along with his thumb not being fully healthy. He obviously would have started if his thumb was healthy enough that they were confident in playing a full game. He kind of held his own then. Um, I've never been the biggest Jared Goff guy. He's not the greatest quarterback out there. But if he's healthy and they have a chance to actually game plan, they might be able to put up a couple of points. But it's not good enough to beat the Packers, in my in my opinion. Well, I disagree with you on one thing there, George. I don't think that Jared Goff came in and ran out an offense that was not tailored to him because, yes, they game-planned all week uh, for Walford to be the starting quarterback, but at the same time, Jared Goff has been their starting quarterback 
all season. So the offense is originally built around Goff and McVay being the offensive genius that we keep saying he is. I'm sure it wasn't too much of an adjustment to just shift it back to Jared Goff's offense. I just think it was the thumb that came into play for him not being able to do what he wanted to do. Um, but back to this game, yeah, I think it's going to be a Green Bay's game. I honestly don't think it's that great of a game because I think it is so dominated by Green Bay being the favorite. Uh, the reason why this game is so interesting is because of the defensive matchup of Jalen Ramsey versus the offensive matchup of Devontae Adams. And guys, I'm going to go ahead and put my bold prediction on this game. I'm going to say that this matchup is going to be one by Jalen Ramsey. I'm going to say that Devontae Adams is held under 100 yards, which might not sound bold, but at the same time, it is Devontae Adams. He's been one of the hottest receivers in the NFL this year, and it's a playoff game. This is where you lean on your best guys. So I'm going to say he's held under 100 yards, but the Packers are still going to win this one. Can I ask you a question about your bold prediction? Absolutely. Does he find the end zone? <sighs> See... Uh, originally my bold prediction was going to be under a hundred yards and no touchdowns. Um, Jalen Ramsey this year, the top receivers that he has covered, he's only allowed one touchdown, but it was a little two yard dump. And I just feel like a guy like Devonte Adams, uh, he's going to find the end zone. I don't think it's going to be on one of those long, deep passes that we've been seeing this year or a broken touchdown that we've been seeing. I think it could be on one of those, uh, quick slants or quick outs or maybe even one of our favorite plays ever, the fade. But I think he will find the end zone. That was all sarcasm for anyone out there. The fade is the worst goal line call. Absolutely. Terrible goal line call. I think he will find the end zone. I do not think he's going to break 100 yards, though. Yeah, I actually do think this game will be a little bit high or a little bit low scoring, that is. Uh, I know the Packers are averaging over 30 points a game. I'm not 100% sure they'll get there. So I, I could see, you know, Ramsey keeping Adams in check, we'll say. So I do like your prediction. I'm going to go with, you know, the Packers winning this game. But it's pretty much between uh, Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers. Now, we talked about Goff already dealing with a broken thumb. But guys, it's supposed to be 25 degrees at kickoff. And Goff hasn't played a lot in the cold weather. But he has two games where the weather was under 30 degrees at kickoff. He has a 34.5 passer rating, 42% completion percentage, zero touchdowns, and five interceptions. Compared to Aaron Rodgers since 2016, has thrown 10 touchdowns to one interception with a 108 passer rating and a 65.8% completion rate. So I do think home field advantage isn't what it used to be this year. I actually think road teams won more than home teams did this year, of mostly because there was no fans. But the weather is a huge home field advantage for the Packers. So I do think it'll be a hard-fought game. They won't be scoring a bunch of points like they're used to. But I do think they pull it out in the end. Well, I'm going to kind of disagree with you just a little bit because I think the Packers are going to put up enough points early that they're going to make the Rams kind of get scared a little bit. Um, and they're going to have to definitely test Jared Goff's thumb because they're going to have to abandon the run being down multiple scores. So I'm going to actually put my bull prediction on the same game as Tyler this week, and I'm going to say that the Rams are going to rush for less than 60 yards. And that is very shocking because the Packers normally give up 113 a game and the Rams run for 126. 
but I just think that the Packers, even though it might not be the highest scoring game, are going to get enough scores early that the Rams are going to be too busy trying to claw back from behind that the Packers will not only stop up the run a little bit in the first quarter, but won't have to deal with it as much in the rest of the game. Very. So you're saying 60 yards total team rushing yards, not just Akers, not Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown, Jared Goff, Cam Akers combined for less than 60. Team rushing yards, yes. Boy, I hope you're right. You know, I came into this game thinking, okay, Cam Akers can get 200 total yards, but we limit everyone else and we can probably still win. Similar to I mentioned when we were going to play the Titans, I mentioned how we could handle Derrick Henry, similar to how we did with Alvin Kamara against the Saints. But if the Packers are going to put up points, you know, the one weakness to the Rams defense, which is really, really good, is off play action. They're 24th in QBR, 22 yards per attempt, and 32nd, dead last in average yards of separation for players where Aaron Rodgers has thrived off play play action this year. First quarterback to throw more than 20 touchdowns off of it. Number one in QBR completion percentage touchdowns. So if they can get the play action game going early and finish the game with Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and A.J. Dillon, George, you might have a chance to be in right there. Yeah, and guys, there's something we're actually missing when we're talking about this game, and that is the potential for seeing the GOAT back on the field, and that is said very sarcastically. Uh, Blake Bortles becomes the backup quarterback for this game. So if Jared Goff isn't able to go because of that thumb, or he does start the game but doesn't perform well because of that thumb, we might see Blake Bortles step in and lead that offense, which, look, I I know he's a joke of a quarterback. He is not a great quarterback, but he's a lot better than a lot of backups that are out there right now. So he might be able to come in and decently contain this offense or handle this offense. The only thing I'll disagree with you with is the goat is not Blake Bortles though. It is totally Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman is amazing. Five picks a game. Hard to beat. Hey, I'll take five picks this game from the Rams quarterbacks. I'm all for that. Oh, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you could talk about this game all day, which is exactly why I'm going to have to cut you off and move on to the next game. So we have the primetime game for that day, and it is the Baltimore Ravens at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are two and a half point favorites. I can't believe it's that low. I also can't believe it's not butter, but I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills in this game. I'll give my reasons later. Uh, Let me hear what you guys think about it. Well, thank you for the dad joke with the I can't believe it's not butter. Uh, that was You're phenomenal. You're welcome. Hopefully you heard us chuckling uh, in the background. But, yeah, I think Buffalo is on a mission this year. They're out to prove that they're going to win games. Now, like I said last week, I'm not complete. I'm surprised two and a half. I thought it would be like three and a half because I think Buffalo will probably win by another field goal, maybe a touchdown at the end, something in that range. Because uh, I do think the Baltimore Ravens match up pretty well with Buffalo. But I can't pick pick the Ravens. I just can't. Even though Harbaugh leads the NFL all-time in playoff road victories, I think the emotion of playing the Tennessee Titans was a big factor into last week. I don't know if they'll have the same energy this week. If it snows, Lamar Jackson's never played in the snow. If it's cold, I don't know how well he's going to do in the cold. I know Baltimore can get decently cold, but it ain't Buffalo. So I do think Buffalo has a decent chance. I am interested in this game. Because, like I said, I do think it'll be close. I think the only thing that might concern me on Buffalo's side is their running game because it is. it was said this week that Zach Moss will be out for the rest of the playoffs with the ankle injury he sustained last week. 
and I'm not the biggest uh, Devin Singletary fan, but Josh Allen's got since when? Yeah, you've been a Singletary fan since he's George, been drafted. What is you happening? Cannot lie to our fans. I have said on this podcast that I am not a big fan of Devin Singletary too much anymore. I, so you can go back and listen anymore. to it. I have jumped off that bandwagon. I did not say have never been. I said I am not now. Rest in peace to the Singletary bandwagon. I thought you were the biggest. I thought you were like number one in the Devin Singletary fan club. I love how I have said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Zach Moss versus Devin Singletary. And now is when I get jumped on it. You forget we don't listen to you. Yeah, exactly. you're right. You're right. Anyway. Um, so I'm worried a little bit about that run game, but they might get Josh Allen moving a little bit more. And I don't see I, the only team that I could see potentially beating Buffalo before the Super Bowl would be Kansas City. Baltimore is playing their best football right now. And I think the emotion of last week is probably what gave them an extra little step up. But I don't see them beating Buffalo. Buffalo is just too good. And we'll talk about Kansas City soon. But if Kansas City can get through Cleveland, that would be probably the toughest pick of the whole playoffs for me. Okay, let's uh, go back to last week. We're talking that the Baltimore Ravens are playing their best football. Again, this stupid comment that I can't stand. Um, Yes, they beat the Titans, and I'm a Titans fan. I'll admit it. But at the same time, the Ravens, in what world did they impress you? Defensively, sure. Their defense shut down Derrick Henry. Uh, Their defense held our team uh, to only 13 points. Their defense played really well, but Baltimore went up against the 30th ranked defense, 30th, and they put up 20 points. And I know I tried to give the Titans a benefit of the doubt in last week's podcast saying that we're not as bad as our record shows and uh, that we got some pieces back, but honestly, our defensive players weren't playing that great. They were playing the same way they were when they were giving up 30, 40 points a game. And yet the Ravens only put up 20 because it is still a one trick pony offense. Lamar Jackson only moved the ball down the field by handing it off, running it himself or throwing a screen pass. I did not see Lamar complete a pass where it had uh, more than seven, eight yards of airtime. I did not see it once it Lamar can't throw deep. And again, the Titans got up. 10-0 10-0 in the first quarter, they let it squander, but if the Bills get an early enough lead and they don't squander it the way the Titans did, Lamar can't throw to win the game. He tried to throw one deep pass last game, and it was the biggest duck I've seen since the Phillip Rivers Hail Mary, and it was easily picked off. I don't think Lamar can lead the team from behind. Uh, I think Buffalo's going to win this game. I know Ravens defense is good, but I think Buffalo's offense is better. Yeah, I, I think the Raven. you know, we talked about Packers being a high-scoring offense. The Titans came into that game averaging 30 points a game. And that defense held them to 13. So I think the defense plays a big factor in keeping this game close. You're right. Lamar didn't look great passing it outside of – I think he did have one seam route that he dropped a dime on from like 30 yards. But outside of that, that interception was pretty bad. But again, he's such an X factor. If his legs get going – he can keep that team. And so it's all going to be up to Tremaine Edmonds of the Buffalo Bills. How much is he going to spy? How much is he going to chase that front four staying in their lanes and trying to keep Lamar in his pocket? Because once he gets outside, he can do anything and keep this game close. Again, I'm still picking Buffalo to win this game. Like I think they're destined for the Super Bowl. Hopefully they don't lose four in a row again, but maybe they will. Maybe they won't. We'll see. They got to get through this week first. 
but I do think the Ravens keep it close. They can keep it close. And you know what, guys? I think the Cleveland Browns can keep it close, too. Uh, Our next game is the Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. It is the Sunday game, first game on Sunday, and the Chiefs are 10-point favorites. But I can tell you already, I put some money on Cleveland plus 10 because I really like this matchup. I really do think that Cleveland's going to keep it a lot closer than that. I think that their offense is high scoring right now. They are running on a high. And yes, the Chiefs are 15-1, and one, but at the same time, going back and looking at this season, they don't seem like they have that type of offensive dominance that I remember from last season. That type of just putting up points in bunches and no way to stop it. We've seen some bad decisions out of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we have seen... Uh, If you can shut down Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, which is harder to do than I say, but if you can shut those two down, their other pieces aren't shining the same way that they did last year. And I think a big part of it is the fall off of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He has not looked as good and Le'Veon Bell in his place has not been that great either. I think the lack of run game allows defenses to play just for the pass. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs aren't impressing me as much as they were before. I mean, if I've looked at enough Andy Reid coach teams throughout the years, he doesn't need too much of a run game to make it successful, especially when you got multiple one play touchdowns on the field like Tyree Kill, Mecole Hardman, Travis Kelsey can dominate a game. I mean, I get it. They definitely have not looked as dominant as they did last season on offense, at least. And the only thing that still gives me hope is we talked about how bad their defense was last year during the season and the playoffs hit and all of a sudden they hit a new gear and took off. So it does not it would not shock me if they did the same thing again. And even with their offense, like if these guys were just kind of going through the motions in the regular season, winning all the games they needed to to get that by. But then the emotion of the playoffs hits and they can turn on another gear. I would not doubt if they could do that. What concerns me is the whole three weeks without playing with Patrick Mahomes and resting a couple other starters too i'm worried there might be some rust but if they can get out of that quick in the first quarter i don't know if there's any looking back yeah i think kansas city uh will will come back pretty decent i do like what tyler said you know patrick mahomes hasn't been as impressive this year i mean he's still been great you know up until three weeks before the end of the season he was right up there in the uh, mvp race but he did lead the league and dropped interceptions with 16 this year. So there has been something just a little off with him. And I, But I am worried about Cleveland in the sense they were so hype for that game. It was divisional rival. They haven't won a playoffs. They didn't have their coach. Heck, their backup offensive lineman showed up on game day. That's when they introduced them to Baker Mayfield. He, he's like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm this and this before the game. I think there was so much energy in it. I'm worried that the amount of energy they spent last Sunday night will also affect them this week, and they too will come out flat. And if both teams come out flat, I think Kansas City turns it on first. The 10 points scares me if you're a betting person. I know, Tyler, you just said you put put money on it because it's like 10 points. That's a lot. For And I agree. I think Cleveland should probably keep it closer, but there's also a really good chance that like, unfortunately, which I don't know why he was still talking, but Chase Claypool said uh, this past week, we might it was a tough loss, but they're going to get smacked by the Chiefs. I definitely think that's a real possibility as well. This could be a blowout. 
it is a possibility, absolutely. Uh, there's always that chance anytime you play Kansas City, um, but I don't think that they're going to come out flat. I think that they're riding this Cinderella story high, and they're going up against the Super Bowl champ from last year, and I think that's only going to motivate them more, especially with their head coach back on the sideline. That's going to get them pumped up, and Baker Mayfield is a heck of a hype man. I can say that he definitely gets his team riled up. I think they're going to come out even more fired up for this game than last week, uh, which is a lot to say. And the thing about Kansas City, like I said that Patrick Mahomes hasn't looked as great, and there is a way to slow down Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, whatever, then you can slow down this offense. But we have seen out of Kansas City the last two years, the team that beats them, or at least has a chance to beat them, isn't the team that plays the best defense and slows them down. It's the team that can be right there with them and outscore them in a shootout. And watching the last three, four weeks, name a team other than maybe the Green Bay Packers that can be in a shootout with the Chiefs as much as the Cleveland Browns. I think the Cleveland Browns... Maybe, but you talked about their run game. You talked about how they only have the air game, and Kansas City's pass defense is still pretty good. Now, Cleveland has those pass catchers who are playing out of their mind. They're not supposed to be this good, and they have that two-headed back system. Uh, You have Nick Chubb. You finally uh, get a break from Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt comes in. I think that this is one of the better offenses in the league right now, and I think they're one of the best teams to be able to be in a shootout with the Chiefs. Interesting. It also is a cream hunt revenge game. So that's true. There Absolutely. is that. Now that's a legit revenge game. Now we've been looking for one. There's a legit one. Well, I mean, aren't they all legit? Like he legit was on the team and now he's so. And for what he did, no matter where you stand on it, people were calling for it. You know, it's almost like it had to be done. They knew he'd get a second chance, but Kansas City had to make that decision in a way. So. I don't know if it's it probably fuels him more than the Chiefs are even thinking about it, to be honest. But could you guys imagine the Chiefs offense if they still had him? It'd be absolutely insane. Like better than it already is, which is crazy. Because he's not only a really good runner that you can hand it off to as many times as you need to, but he is one of the best pass catching backs. And you put a good pass catching back in that backfield with Patrick Mahomes. It's all over. You know, you know what else is all over? probably one of the quarterbacks of our next matchups career because we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints, both quarterbacks over 40. And you know, I hope you all saw the the meme going around of the History Channel presents this matchup with uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. But enough jokes aside, this is the third time these two teams will face off. New Orleans has won the last two, but Tampa Bay has looked better the last few weeks. What are your guys' thoughts on our final matchup, Tampa Bay at the New Orleans Saints. The amount of times that I've said this, I'm a broken record. The Buccaneers are not built to beat a team that was built from within and is a solid contender because the players have been around each other for so long. They're the dream team that has so much talent. They can go out there and beat you know, this guy or that guy, but the solid team is still going to beat them. And the Saints have proved it twice, and I think the Saints are going to prove it a third time. And not only is it going to be Brady loses to a team twice for the first time, he's going to be losing to a team three times for the first time. Yeah, I'm really excited for this game. Honestly, it's uh, Drew Brees versus Tom Brady. I'm super excited for the AARP Bowl. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, I think that 
this chance has a this game has a really good chance for another Tom Brady pouting meme, and that gets me even more excited than any of these other games. I love seeing him throw a hissy fit on the sideline. Nothing is more beautiful after watching his career than seeing him pout. Uh, but I do think that the Saints are the better team. I do think they can win. Um, at the same time, this is going to be a close game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though they have lost to the Saints twice this year, do still have a decent defense. And even though their offense wasn't that impressive last week against a team they should have been a lot better on, uh, they do have those offensive weapons that can shine at any moment. They're very deep at every point on the field. Uh, They have the good quarterback. Well, you can debate that. Uh, They have the good running backs. They have great receivers, the good tight ends. I think that Tampa Bay has that potential um, to really dominate the Saints if they can get it all clicking. But I'm not going to pick it. I think I am going to stick with the Saints to win this game. It's going to be a close one, though. Yeah, I I don't have much more to add to what you just said. I think... The Saints are slightly the better team. I think Bruce Arians can get too pass happy. And I think the Saints defense is actually pretty good. Drew Brees, his arm scares me, but he gets to play at home in New Orleans. So I'm going to take the Saints as well, but expect a very close game. Absolutely, Cody. And you know what? That is going to take us right into our debate segment for the game. So that is all of our picks uh, for the week. Now, going into our debate, it's pretty obvious that Green Bay, Buffalo, Kansas City, and New Orleans are the favorites for all of these games. We're picking all of these teams to win. So let's go ahead and have a debate about these four games, and let's see who has the best chance at an upset this weekend. Uh, George, why don't you start us off? All right, so I know it seems crazy because a lot of people say that the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, but I just see more question marks when it comes to them with the resting people for three weeks or the Browns could come out and keep playing out of their mind because they're playing with all this emotion with their coach coming back and coming off the high beat in the Steelers. I don't know. I'm just going to say that the Browns are the best chance to get an upset this weekend. I think if it does happen, it's going to be more the bye week messing with the Chiefs than it is the Browns coming out and being the better team because they're not the better team. But I couldn't find many other situations in the other games where I thought, oh, this team has a legitimate chance. I just have a feeling that the Browns have the best chance. All right, George, I absolutely agree with you there. I mean, you heard me hyping up the Browns earlier in the show, so I guess I shouldn't have given you first choice on who to pick. So I will go ahead and take the second pick, and I'm going to go with the Buccaneers have the best chance because, I mean, guys, honestly, it's Tom Brady, it's Mike Evans, it's Chris Godwin, it's Ronald Jones having the year he's had. Uh, It's so many pieces, Rob Gronkowski, the list goes on, along with great defensive pieces. And the Saints just played against the Bears, who we were all laughing about being an 8-8 eight and eight team, need to fire their coach because they're so bad, and all this other stuff. And yet, midway through the third quarter, it was 7-3. to three. What did they do to really impress us last week against an 8-8 eight and eight team? Now, if they're going to struggle that hard against a team like the Bears, uh, offensively, uh, they did not show up. I understand they did shut down Trubisky on the defensive side. At the same time, like I said, they just really didn't impress us last week. So if they're going to do that against a team like the Bears, I think a team like the Bucks can really take advantage from a slow start like that, and the Bucks can take a victory here. I think a lot of that was just the Bears' defense is so good and it's underrated because their offense is so bad. That's why the record was bad. I don't think that what happened there was really a shock to me. 
Well, I also was going to say, I think that was just an, a clear case of, you know, playing down to your opponent and then realizing, oh, wow, we should actually uh, maybe try a little bit. And as soon as they, you know, took it from first gear to second gear, they they blew them out. But I do want to give a quick shout out to Mitch Trubisky for playing like hot garbage, but winning the hearts of kids across <laughs> the Nickelodeon network, voting him for the Nickelodeon valuable player. I don't know how he did it, but it is impressive. And Chicago, how can you move on from the Nickelodeon most valuable player? You got to re-sign the MVP. But back to the actual topic of this debate, I disagree with both of you guys. Of course you do. You know, and well, it's also a debate. I kind of have to. But I mentioned it last week when I said I thought the Buffalo Bills and the Colts game was going to be close because I like the Colts defense. I think the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills game is going to be close, which I think that gives them the best shot to pull the upset. I mentioned it. You know, the Bills are another offense that's averaging, I think, just over 30 points a game, just like the Titans were. The Ravens were able to hold them to 13 points. You know, this weekend, everyone's talking about Adams versus Ramsey, which they should be. But Peters versus Diggs is just as good if as that matchup. Excited for that one. There is no run game in Buffalo, especially with Zach Moss out. George was lying when he told you he wasn't a Devin Singletary fan anymore. I don't care what he said on the air. He's number one fan, and he knows that he's not very good. And that front four, front seven, slowed down the best running back in the league with Derrick Henry. I think there's going to be too much weight on Josh Allen's shoulders. I think it's going to come down to defense, and I give the edge on defense. I think Buffalo's defense is you know slightly above average, but I think the defense is better on Baltimore's side. I think Lamar Jackson has one big run to keep the game close, hopefully take the lead. You know, Tyler Bass looked great last week with that 50-yard field goal to essentially win the game, but they got the best kicker in Justin Tucker on Baltimore's side. I think these teams match up very well, so I think that gives the edge to the Baltimore Ravens being the the team most likely to pull up the upset this week. Yes, Cody, the Ravens defense did shut down Henry, hold him to 40 yards. But at the same time, let's not pretend like the Ravens were one of the best run defenses in the league. They were only that good against Henry because when you face the Tennessee Titans, all you hear about is Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards. Derrick Henry's a king. He's a monster. So you put eight, nine guys in the box. You spend the entire week game planning to shut down that run. And that's why Derrick Henry was shut down. Now, going against Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley even having the year that he's having and the very underrated Gabriel Davis, I think that they're going to game plan hard against the pass, which is going to open up those run lanes. And you know what? Devin Singletary might not be the best running back, but he's still decent. We've seen last year and even some games this year that he has had some flashes where he has looked really, really good. And he never really got the amount of carries that he's needed to really shine and show what he can do. So I think if he goes into this game where they're 100% looking for that pass, Devin Singletary might actually have a really good game. And then once he starts running and starts getting some yards on them, they have to start playing the run a little more. It's going to open up that pass game. And Stephon Diggs is going to have two, three, maybe seven touchdowns because I hate the Ravens. I also just want to say how Cody was talking up Buffalo is probably the best team, best chance at a Super Bowl appearance. Now he's going to say they had the best chance to lose, too. I Again, I didn't say they had the best chance to lose. I said the Baltimore Ravens have the best chance to pull an upset. 
Meaning, is there... I think he. Yes, there's a difference. There's eight teams. Four are going to win. I think Baltimore's five. So how can I pick the eighth team to to upset a team that I think's in the top four? I think Baltimore is. You know, if if you're cutting them down to four teams, they're the first one to miss. That's why I'm picking Baltimore. And I understand what you're saying about how they were able to game plan to stop Derrick Henry, but I think they can game plan to stop Stephon Diggs. They have the best trio corner with Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, and Jimmy Smith to match up well with Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, or Gabriel Davis, whichever one is out there. That they can, And they have the front four guys to slow down an average running back. It's all going to come down to Josh Allen, which he was playing at an MVP level, so I definitely think he can pull off the victory, which is why I picked them, George. But <laughs> at the same time, if they stay in their lanes and he can't get the running game going, I think there's just too much on his shoulders that it could come down to – if it's tied game and you know the J- Justin Tucker walks out there for a field goal, I don't think anyone's going to think he's going to miss. Maybe he does. Maybe they're only down by two when he walks out there. You know, I just think – like I said, it's not so much I think the Buffalo Bills are a bad team. It's just I think the Baltimore Ravens are the team that's just missing out on these top four teams and p- could potentially pull off this upset. I hear what you're saying, Cody. I just I disagree. I really think that if you rank these teams uh, one through eight, I would honestly probably put Baltimore seven. And that's not even just my bias against Baltimore right now I just think that they don't have what it takes this year in the playoffs to get it done and I don't think that they really have a shot against Buffalo and that's why I'm going to have to go with Tampa Bay to beat the Saints as the best potential upset I mean obviously the Kansas City Chiefs are the number one ranked team coming into this playoffs Uh, you have to beat them to really prove yourself Uh, so that's why you can't really pick the Browns I think the Bucks are definitely the clear choice here I mean that's understandable the Buccaneers are, I was assuming your number five team. You know, if you ranked them one through eight on who you thought was the best chance, they'd probably be number five because we picked four teams to win, and they're the first team, first team we picked to, or not the first team we picked to lose, but the the last opportunity to win. So I don't hate the Buccaneers pick. The Browns, I like I said, they could keep it real close. I just think they're going to be in a lull after last week's game, come out a little bit flat, and you can't start slow against Kansas City. But, George, you have a good point with the bye weeks. I think it's going to be a fun weekend overall. So I think, you know, fans are going to get what they want. What they want. It's going to be a good weekend of football, and that's really, at the end of the day, all we can ask for. Absolutely, Cody. I completely agree with you. So, uh, you know what? Honestly, we should probably stop this debate because we could probably go on forever. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this weekend's games and look forward to see who's in the Final Four for each conference next week. All righty. George, you got anything else, buddy? Or did I did I offend you? No, I'm I'm good. I'm good. All right, George is good. That means we're good. So thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Couch GMs podcast. As always, follow us, list like us on your favorite podcasting apps, leave a review. It all helps. And enjoy the weekend. Absolutely, guys. And you know what? Let us know who you think has the best chance to pull off an upset we are curious what you guys have to say uh who do you think won the debate today or are you guys going to go with the rams uh are you going to be wrong uh just let us know what you guys think get involved it's more fun for us and more fun for you when you get involved with the podcast thank you all again for listening into the couch gm's podcast for tyler snyder and cody roadcap i'm george kurth and we will see you all for conference championship weekend boom <laughs>